this. I'm very grateful that you're here with me tonight to study some Torah. Tonight we jump into a Yom Kippur discussion and man, oh Manashevitz, this is not on Yom Kippur, no Manashevitz on Yom Kippur, even if it's a Jewish sounding name, uh-uh, no food and drink, but here's the dealio. Um, this class is going to explore the story of Jonah. Uh, and I'm telling you this, you might have heard it before, you might have studied it before, you're not going to hear it like you've heard it tonight. This is a whale of a tale. All right, all right, no reaction. I'm feeling it, I'm feeling the love though anyway, despite, despite the, uh, the joke. Um, this is a whale of a tale. Oh, hold on, who's walking through the background? Mendel, if you walk by, you got to say hi. That's the rule. Come on in. Coming in. This is the Bar Mitzvah boy. There you go. Wow, with the oh. fedora. Right. Look at that. He's, he's, looking, uh, he's looking all, all uh, yeshiva-ish. Anyway, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mute everybody so we have a nice, clean background for the party. And let's jump in. Story of Jonah like you've never heard it told before. So the first thing we're going to do is um, we are going to... Review outside very quickly, very briefly, the story of Jonah. Okay, it's important that we have the background. We're going to get into some, a deep dive into some text in a moment, but we first have to get the general story. So let's do that first. Okay, here's the on one leg version of the story. Jonah, okay, his Hebrew name was Jonah. Jonah, you know, whatever. That's how it's written in the books, in the translation, so we're going to go with that. Jonah is a prophet. He is a prophet who is righteous and who God communicates with. So God is schmoozing with Jonah one day and God says to Jonah, Hey, I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. Why? Because the people in Nineveh are not doing what they need to be doing. And I need you to pass along the message, repent or perish. I mean, if you were a prophet back in the day, that was pretty much the go-to message. I, to be honest... That's a lot of the messaging was get back on track or else face the consequences, right? Either shape up or ship out that. Ooh, st sorry to foreshadow the, uh, the, the conversation. My bad. But anyway, that was, that was the, pretty much the message that God says to Jonah. Go to the people and tell them they got to get their act together or else go to Nineveh. By the way, the reason why we're studying this now is because on Yom Kippur, on the Holy Day of Atonement, we actually read the entire book of Jonah. It's short, but we read the entire book of Jonah <laughs> um, on, Steve, I'm going to get to you in a second. We read the entire book of Jonah on Yom, on Yom Kippur by Mincha in the afternoon, and thus it becomes a significant thing to speak about. There's a theme, there's a connection. Tonight we're going to explore the connection. So God says to Jonah, go ahead, go to Nineveh. And tell the people to repent, do tshuva, correct themselves, or else it's not going to be good. What happens next? What happens next is incredible. It's unbelievable. In the annals of, of, um, of prophet history, it's unheard of. Jonah walks away. Jonah completely walks away from God. He says to God, ah, you're sending me on a mission. Gotta run. Gotta run. I got a boat. I gotta take a boat. I gotta be somewhere else. Jumps ship or whatever. Abandons, completely abandons where he is meant to be. That's a big affront to God. It's a big chutzpah, if you will. 
But it's the story. It's the story that we have. It's the story of Jonah. He goes to, he takes a ship and he wants to bounce to a place called Tarshish. Now, you might be wondering, where is Tarshish? Um, where is Tarshish? Tarshish ha- is a subject of a little bit of dispute. So we don't have a clear tradition where it's from, but the version that I like is the one that says that Tarshish is modern-day Tunisia. So we're talking about northern Africa. So this guy is getting on a boat from the port of Israel, from one of the Israeli ports, port cities, and taking a boat, taking a ship over to Tarshish, which is Tunisia, and his plan is just to straight up run away from God because he's not interested in the mission. Again, like I said before, it's unheard of. Well, along the way, you probably know the story. A storm breaks out. The people realize that it's an unusual storm and they cast lots as to like to determine in some sort of like Ouija board, you know, mysterious uh, way to figure out why is this happening to the ship and on whose account is it happening. And the lots fall on Jonah and they wake up Jonah who's sleeping and they tell Jonah, hey, hey, buddy. Uh, what, what'd you do? <laughs> what'd you do that, that's getting us into all this stormy trouble? And he says, I'm running away from God, etc. And they say, well, then uh, you, you, we got to make a plan. He says, no problem. Throw me into the water and, and you'll all be saved. Save your own lives, but throw me into the water. They do that. The storm subsides. He's swallowed by a whale. By the way, I hope I'm not doing any spoiler alerts because we are studying this. So if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, here it is. It's happening. So they throw him overboard. The seas quiet down, so the people are saved. But now Jonah is in the sea, and he's swallowed by a fish. Just when you thought it couldn't get any, any stranger, he gets swallowed by the fish, by a very large, massive fish. He's there three days, three nights. He prays to God. The fish ultimately spits him out onto dry land. And God again says to him, Jonah, I'd like you to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah says, Okay, I'll go, (laughs) because the first time it didn't work out not going. So this time he says, all right, I'm in. And he goes and he tells the people, repent or perish 40 days. God will destroy you if you don't repent. And lo and behold, the people do tshuva. The people repent and God forgives them. And the decree is averted. Nothing bad happens to the people of Nineveh. At this point, Jonah is just absolutely heartbroken and depressed. And he says, God, I knew this was going to happen. Take my life. The story ends that uh, he's lying down on his own. He just wants to die. He's so depressed. By the way, you might be wondering, why do you want to die? Like, what what happened wrong? Good questions. We're going to get to this tonight. So we're going to get to it. Um, But he wants to die. He's, he's, He's just bitter, embittered with life and just upset about everything at this point. And there's a tree that suddenly grows and gives him shade. And then a worm comes and... And somehow, I don't know, poisons the tree and the tree dies. And then he's now doubly sad. He, he's sad about what happened with Ninveh, that they were saved. And now he's also sad that his kikayon tree is lost. And now he's like, God, really take me. And God's like, you're upset about this tree? You're, you're like upset even to the point of death about this kikayon tree that you didn't plant? That was here one day, gone the next day? And then God does the ultimate move. And I shouldn't be aggrieved. When a whole city of people are wandering astray, who don't know their right hand from their left, and there are many animals there also, you don't think I should have compassion, not on a tree, but on a whole city, a metropolis of people and animals. And that's literally how the book ends. And many cattle. Those are the last words. There's also many cattle there. Of course, 
I should have compassion. Okay, so as Steve wrote in the comments, that is a very, you know, especially when we talk about cattle at the end, it's a very moving story. Steve, did I do justice to your joke? Maybe, there you go, I got a thumbs up. All right, so here's the deal. This is the story, it evokes many questions. I'm going to ask at least, at least, three questions on the story. Oh, Adina Malka asked question number one. Why is Jonah embittered by their repentance? It seems like it's a happy ending. Ninveh is saved. What's the problem? Good, that's one of my questions. I have at least three questions. By the way, there are dozens of questions that we could ask on the story. I'm gonna start off with three, we'll see how many more we get in. I'm going to, we're gonna, in the process of the questions, we're gonna completely deconstruct the story, blow it up, and piece it back together with a perspective that will blow your mind. And then at the end, we're going to tease out from this entire narrative in our new way of understanding it, three powerful life lessons that you can come out of this class with, and hopefully it will change your life for the better. That's the goal. I'm setting the bar high, but listen, this is Torah studies and that's how we roll. All right, so here are the questions. You ready? Question number one. Question numero uno. Yeah, why does Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? At the opening of the story, God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, see ya, God, I'm out. What's the problem? That's question number one. So let's, I'm not gonna ask all questions. Uh, maybe I'll pile on all the questions. Okay, question number one. Question number two. Question number two is, and so what's his plan? So we don't know why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. That seems puzzling. He's a prophet after all. Let him go where he's sent. So number one, what's his issue with going to Nineveh? Number one. Number two, what's his plan? What's his, what, what, what's his, what plan is he hatching? What brilliant plot is he planning? I'm going to run away from God. Really? Listen, if we're dealing with a spiritual amateur, somebody who doesn't understand God, one thing. But somebody who speaks to God thinks that he's going to run away from God. Oh, and God tracked him down on a ship. Who would have thought? Huh. Couldn't have, couldn't have imagined that that would happen, that God would find him on a ship. What do you think? Jonah, buddy, old pal, what are you thinking? You think you can escape God? Okay, God had no idea you were going to be on a ship. You know what? You put on a fake beard and little glasses, and God had no clue that that's who you were. I mean, seriously, God is God. Of course God's going to track you down. All right, that's question number two. Are you with me in the questions? Why didn't he want to go? Why is he running away? What's his plan? Um, what's the next question that we have? Hold on. The next question that we're going to ask is, oh, detail that I did not mention. And that is, on the ship, and we're going to read this inside, by the way. I'm giving you the overview and then the questions, and then we're going to do a deep dive inside. All puns intended. Um, the story goes, deep dive, dive, water. I'm just, just making sure. Listen, it's Zoom. I got I to gotta make sure that everyone's with me on this. Okay, um, look. The book of Jonah says that as the storm is breaking out and everyone, everyone is panicking, they're, they're all going to lose their lives. They're sure of it. They, throw, they draw the lots. Who is it? Jonah's name gets drawn out of the hat. They go find him. And you know what he's doing? Dude is in 
the bowels of the ship, one of the lower, I don't know, I don't know how many floors, I'm just picturing a cruise ship here, a carnival. What's the one with the tail? Help me out here. You know? Princess. Princess? Okay. Um, David. David Lazan. Dr. David. Which is the ship that your mishpacha was on? Got on mute. I got uh, both Holland America and uh, Royal Caribbean. Okay. Let's do Holland America. I like it. It's like two different countries. It's like a mashup. Right. Holland America. So I picture like a Holland America ship. Right? Like deep down. And he's deep down in the ship. And what's he doing? Everyone's panicking. Jonah, the hero of our story, is schlaffing. Jonah's sleeping. Not a care in the world. What is going on? Why is he sleeping? How could he sleep? That's our third question. And our fourth question, look at that, I have four already. Fourth question is, why, and this is Adina Malka's question, why is he so aggrieved? Why is he so distressed? Why is he so pained to the point of wanting to lose his own life? By the fact that Ninveh did turn it around and they were spared. That seems like a happy ending. Okay, hold all the questions. Four questions. Trust me, there are dozens more. All answer with one point. That's a real good point. If one point can answer a bunch of questions, you know that's a good idea. So you have to trust me that it's a good idea because I haven't shared it with you yet. But trust me, I got a good idea up my sleeve. But I'm going to get there in a second. Let's now look at some texts because... As I once heard on Reading Rainbow, but don't take my word for it. Remember that one? Yes? Anybody? All right. Jessica's nodding. All right. Awesome. Let's... <laughs> LeVar Burton? Was that LeVar Burton? Yes? There we go. All right. Love that guy. Let's, ju let's jump in. Um, all right. I'm going to share my screen with you. Here we go. Sharing is caring. Yom Kippur. Okay. Boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Let's jump right in. Uh, David, Dr. David, you're first on my screen, so please jump in, text number one from the Talmud, and this talks about the fact that we read the Haftorah, we read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, during the afternoon service, the portion dealing with sexual impropriety is read, followed by the story of Jonah for the Haftorah. All right, so thank you. There's, there's two Torah readings on Yom Kippur, morning and afternoon service. Morning service, we read about the, the goings-on in the temple on Yom Kippur itself. In the afternoon, we read about the um, incestuous relationships, forbidden relationships, intimate relationships in the Torah reading. And then we move to the book of the prophets or the book of scripture, and we read the story of Jonah for the Haftorah. And, oh, question number five. Why is this read? on Yom Kippur. This question comes up now. That's kind of a general question. All right, now let's... Oh. The last question that I just asked, why, why are we reading this story on Jonah anyway on Yom Kippur? Like, why, forget the detailed questions. The general question, what's the connection? This is answered by Machzer Vitri. Take a look, Joel A, Joel Alpert. Please read text number two. From Machzer Vitri. Unmute, please, if you can. I can now. Awesome. Okay. The third person called to the Torah reads the story of Jonah because of the repentance of the inhabitants of Ninveh. Boom. That's your classic answer. Thank you, Joel. Classic answer is 
Why, why read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur? Well, it's a day of atonement, a day in which we believe that God is listening to our prayers and there's always a second chance. Well, what a great story about second chances. The inhabitants of Nineveh, they were slated to be destroyed in 40 days. They had the old 40-day ticker. And what happens? Jonah eventually, Jonah eventually gets there and he tells them and they turn themselves around and crisis averted, decree averted. And that tells us something really powerful. That tells us about the power of teshuva, the power of repentance, the power of correction, the power of repair. We can fix even that which seems perhaps uh, to some or maybe even to ourselves that might seem to be broken beyond repair. The story of Jonah tells us not so. It's not broken beyond repair. There's always hope. There's always a second chance or a third chance. There's always a chance for teshuva. And the fact that God is very happy to rip up the decree. Right? Think about it. Uh, we know that... It, let me stop sharing so I can see you all. So we know that on Rosh Hashanah, our verdicts are written for the year. But on Yom Kippur is when it's sealed. What's the message? We still have time to change it. And if it's not a good decree, God forbid, God forbid, right? So then God will rip it up and write something new. No problem. It's not sealed yet. By the way, even after Yom Kippur, I probably shouldn't say this. It's bad for rabbi business. But even after Yom Kippur, you still have to Hashanah Rabbah, the last day of Sukkot, to fix it. And even after that, I mentioned this, um, I think, daily uh, on, on Rosh Hashanah at the service, at the learner service. By the way, learner service, 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, two slots on Yom Kippur, outdoors, social distance, with masks. It's going to be a party. Um, join us at Chabad. So getting back... Um, and it's not sealed until either Hashanah Rabbah or the Baal Shem Tov said, even until Hanukkah, we still have a chance. Again, not good for rabbi business on Yom Kippur, but just giving you the, the full scoop. So here's the point. Ninveh teaches us, story of Jonah, Jonah teaches us, that God is more than happy to rip up a negative decree, put it away, and grant life and blessing. And that's what happened in this story. So it's a great story to read on Yom Kippur, the idea of, we got chances. We got chances and we got, we got God on our side. That's one answer why we read it on Yom Kippur. Take a look at the next answer. This is from the Chafetz Chaim. Text number three. Let's see who is next on my screen. Paul, are you up to reading? Yes. Awesome. Fantastic. So this is again Chafetz Chaim and here we go. The idea. The idea is that oftentimes people are prone to giving up on themselves, assuming they are beyond repair. They resign to certain behaviors and think that if God eventually decrees their death, so be it. This is a grave mistake. No pun. <laughs> at the end of the day, whatever God intends for that person to repair will get repaired if it requires that person to arrive in this world again and again until it happens, so be it. Regardless, the repair must be carried through. If so, why should a person endure so much pain and suffering and be compelled to return to this world? Jonah's story is case in point. God wanted him to go to Nineveh, and he refused, fleeing to the sea. What happened? He was swallowed by a fish and remained there for a number of days. By all standards, it didn't look like God's plan would be carried out. Ultimately, we know that God's plan did come to fruition as Jonah proceeded to deliver the prophecy. The same is true in every person's life. 
Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for reading. Uh, this is such a powerful reading. It starts off sounding like the previous reading, but then he does a pivot, and the Chavitz Chaim shares, uh, uh, like, it's, it's like gives goosebumps. Here's what he says in my own words. What he's saying is, if you, if you have something in your shlichut, which means your mission in life, don't run away from it. Why? Because you're going to have to do it at some point in time. You're going to have to get it done, either in this incarnation, what he's talking about is reincarnation, either in this incarnation or in a reincarnation. Your choice, my choice, it's our choice. We get to choose. But he says, why not do it the easy way? Why do it the hard way? Right? It's like, we could do this the easy way, we could do it the hard way. You can listen now, or you cannot listen now, and then you're going to get swallowed by a fish and thrown off a boat and all this stuff, or thrown off a boat and swallowed by a fish and spit up on dry land. Why the drama? Just get it done. It's kind of like when you tell your kid to clean his or her room, and they're like, no, they don't want to do it and everything, and you're like, listen, I... at some point, you're going to clean the room. So let's avoid the drama and let's do it now. It'll be so much easier. It'll take you five minutes. Bada beam, bada boom. Listen, I've been there, whatever, we've all been there. Or maybe you know, we can remember when we were that, that, we were that child, right? It's the easy way or the hard way. And so the Chavetz Chaim is essentially saying on Yom Kippur, why, why Yonah on Yom Kippur? Why this story? Why Jonah on Yom Kippur? Okay, because Yom Kippur is a day of reminding ourselves what our purpose in life is really about. It's about the deeper stuff. It's not about the eating or drinking. Oh, we're not doing that. It's not about the, uh, the luxuries of life. Eh, we're not doing that on Yom Kippur. What's it about? It's about the deeper stuff. It's about the spiritual stuff. It's about the connection. It's about the mission. We all have a mission. On, Rosh, on Yom Kippur, we plug back into mission. We plug back into God. And so at that moment... We recommit ourselves to doing it in a straightforward fashion. Why? God looks at us and says, I'm giving you a lease on life, and here's what I want you to do. Ah, got to go to Tarshish. Sorry, I got a boat. I got a vacation. I got a cruise. Sorry, God, I can't get it done. What, you, you think you're running away from the mission? You're not going to run away from the mission. The mission's going to happen anyway. Might as well just embrace it and enjoy it and jump into it. Make sense? Chavetz Chaim? So just to clarify, because it's, it's important to clarify that everything is clear, because otherwise everything becomes a chalant. And although chalant is good, that's for Shabbos and not for Torah study. Chalant means like everything's mixed together. I don't want everything mixed together. Clarity. So question, the fifth question that I asked, which is the first we're addressing, why do we read the story of Jonah on Yom Kippur? Two classic answers. Number one, teaches us the power of change and our ability to avert destiny, right? That's really important. The destiny of Nineveh was to be destroyed. They averted it through their actions, through their corrective behavior. That's one. Number, so we too have the power to change and even alter our destiny um, on Yom Kippur and really every day, but that's a message for Yom Kippur. And number two, embrace the mission. Embrace the mission, don't run away. Paul asks an excellent question. How do we know our mission? If God is telling you, if you're Jonah and God says, hey, go to Nineveh, you know your mission. How do we know our mission? So the Kabbalists explain, and Kabbalah explains, that it's a product. It's good to have signs, and each of us maybe are given signs, little markers or nudges along the way. But one other way to understand this is, take a look at your individual, your unique personality, and your unique skill set, 
and your unique opportunities and your unique training, et cetera, ability, and, and, and the context and the circ and the opportunities that you have, and you kind of line everything up and you're like, okay, so I'm meant to be doing this in this place with that person, with that skill set that I have, or maybe it's what's my particular challenge and maybe that's what I need to, to work against and that can become a mission in life. I mentioned this today in our um, in-person, socially distant, outdoor with lunch Torah study. Wow, that's a long name. That's not the official name. Um, we're thinking about calling, because the food is from Spicy Peach, that's a story. We're thinking about calling it the Peachy Parsha, which I'm an alliteration guy, so... Oh, yeah, oh Adina Maka likes it. All right, so maybe we'll stick with that. The, it's the peachy parsha. Uh, maybe. I, I, I'm not opposed to it. It's fine, it's fine with me. So here's the deal. I mentioned then that if you think about your life... Well, I can't say for sure, because I don't know. But many people have told me, and I know for myself, you kind of find things repeating themselves. Like similar people that come into your life in and out and similar challenges that keep on repeating. And that's a sign that there's something with that that needs to be done. And if you don't catch it the first time, there's another wave, another, another chance to, to do something with that in that type of context. And if not that time, there might be another context, another chance, another, another opportunity. That's another way to understand it. The challenges that keep on coming up might just be part of our mission to, uh, to conquer. Anyway, just some ideas, but it's a really good question, and we hope to have signs, and we hope to have clarity as to what we're supposed to do, and that's, that's certainly a helpful thing. So those are the two messages, why we read it on Yom Kippur. I'm gonna, we're going to end up with more, but these are the classic two, power of change and repentance and averting the decree, and the idea of embracing our mission and not putting ourselves through all of that unnecessary drama only to find ourselves in the same exact position as we were in the beginning, which is being told to go to Ninveh and, all right, fine, I'll go now. Okay, so those are the two messages. Now, let's look a little bit deeper into the story, or not deeper, but further into the story, and, 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 reset the questions. Let's reset the questions. Question the first question that I asked was, why is Jonah hesitant to fulfill his divinely ordained mission? We have a powerful explanation. And the truth is, with this explanation, this is the key. This is the key that opens up the entire narrative and completely transforms the narrative. Whatever you think about the story is about to change. Like everything you think about the story, who are the heroes and who are the villains? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Who should you feel upset about and who should you feel, who should you empathize with? Everything changes with information. By the way, this itself is a powerful lesson, right? Our feelings and our opinions, super sure about our opinions, they can all change with one new piece of information. You ready? Here we go. I'm going to share my screen with you again, and let's find the new info. This is coming from, oops, hold on. Um, ah. Nope. I had it right before. Text number six. This is from the Abarbanel. 
The Abar Benel has a song written about him. You might know this song. It goes, All right. That's a little schlock rock action. Abar Benel tunes. All right. Dr. Maxi, because you loved that musical interlude, <laughs> um, please jump in. Text number six. This is pretty wild. Take it away. When God sent Jonah to warn Nineveh's inhabitants that their wickedness had arisen before him, it was not motivated by love or care for them. Rather, it was to save the Assyrians from punishment so that they would be available to vanquish the Jews. Jonah fully understood the underlying objective. And that, my friends, is what we call the hammer dropping or something. That's something dramatic, whatever is the right phrase for that. Basically, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. And who were the Assyrians? You might ask. The Assyrians at that time in history were the core enemy of the Jewish people on their way to defeating the Jewish people who were then sovereign in their own land, the land of Israel, to the point that it was the Assyrians who started exiling the northern tribes of Israel, ultimately. The Assyrians were not just a sympathetic nation that was destined for doom and gloom if they didn't repent. No, they were the enemy of the Jewish people. So now think about it. God says to Jonah, a Jewish prophet, hey, go save Nineveh. Go save the Assyrians. And he's thinking, and why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I rescue my enemy from doom and harm? I actually want my enemy to be visited with doom and harm. Are you with me on this one piece of information that radically changes the narrative? Everything changes. The Assyrians, if you, have you ever heard of the 10 lost tribes? Yeah, the 10 lost tribes. What happened? Oh, pre-GPS. They had no idea. They refused to ask directions and now they're lost. No. That's not why they're 10 lost tribes. They're 10 lost tribes because these were the tribes that lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. That Israel split into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. It was really about taxation, which seems so silly, but nonetheless, so it is, politics. And the kingdom split, and the northern kingdom was a bit vulnerable, and they had strayed spiritually as well. They didn't have the temple in the north. It was in the south. All right. I don't want to rehash all of the history. The bottom line is those 10 tribes were slowly exiled, one by one, picked off and, and scattered to be lost forever. The Assyrians were behind it. This is before that started. But the Assyrians were the mighty force opposing the Jews and their arch enemy. And so now God says to Jonah, save Nineveh, save the Assyrians. That was the capital city. And Jonah says, bye. I'm out. You want me so to say... By, yeah. I have a question. So sure. by implication, you're saying that Hashem forgave Nineveh because Nineveh, even though they weren't Jewish, they repented. Correct. My, the point of this is that Nineveh, not only were they not Jewish, because that, that's tshuva and connections available to anybody, but not only that, Nineveh was the enemy of the Jewish people, and the ones that were going to, God forbid, that ultimately brought harm upon the Jewish people. And yet, God separated it out. 
but we're not there yet. They have a chance to fix, to repair. They have to be told. They have to be given a chance. That, that, and that is even more about the power of teshuva and about being judged in the moment and not being judged for the future, even though God knows the future, but being judged in the present. There's a phrase in Torah that you have to, that a person is judged by Asher Husham. It's about the story of Ishmael. I don't want to get into the whole context, but the phrase is Ba'asher Hu Sham, as he is there in that moment. We don't look at what he's going to do. We don't look at what's going to happen. What will unfold in the moment? Can we find some sort of merit? And that's, and that's what God wanted, and that's also a lesson. But now we have, at least we have an understanding of why Jonah runs the other way. Jonah says, you want me to go to the enemy and spare the enemy from, from, from doom? If they're destroyed, that's good for us. Why would I help them? That makes no sense. But God told him. So what does he do? He checks out. He says, see you later. I got a boat to catch. I'm out of here. He doesn't even say no to God. God tells him the prophecy. He doesn't argue. He just totally checks out. He just books a ship. He books a trip on a ship. He's out. Take a look at the Mechilta. Oh, unbelievable. Text number seven. I'm going to share my screen again. Let's jump back in. All right, text number seven. This is from the, uh, the Midrash. Uh, let's see. Steve. Steve Horowitz. Please read this one where it says, Jonah said. Jonah said, I know that the nations are quick to repent. Now if I travel to Nineveh and pronounce God's message... They will immediately repent. God, who is slow to anger and who is abundantly kind, will immediately have mercy and rescind the decree. Moreover, this turn of events will cause God to be wrathful against Israel. For he will say, the nations to whom I have not given the Torahs, edicts, and laws, repent as soon as they learn that I have uh, issued a decree against them. Not so with Israel. I dispatch to them my prophets at all times, imploring them to repent, and yet they stubbornly cling to their ways. Thank you. So, so Jonah felt not only was he sparing the Assyrians, the enemy, but it's indicting the Jews. Because look, the Assyrians are going to take it seriously. And the Jews, yeah, sure, repent, yeah, big deal. And, you know, and that's why both temples were destroyed. Prophet after prophet is coming to the Jews and telling them, get your... Clean up your act. Let's go. Let's get it together. Get rid of the idols. Get back to monotheism. There were idols in the times of the first temple. And the Jews didn't listen. And one message to the Assyrians, to Nineveh. Oh, everyone's out repenting. Jonah's like, I know how this story ends. I'm going to go. Watch. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Nineveh. Right? God wants me to go. I'm going to go. They're going to listen. They're going to be spared. And then what? And then it's going to look bad for us. Not only am I saving the enemy, I'm indicting us. Are you with me on this? Every ounce, every atom, A-T-O-M, of Jonah's body told him this is a terrible idea. And so he runs. By the way, this also answers why, at the end of the story, Jonah wants to die. Why he's so depressed. You know why? Because you know what he just did? He just saved the enemy. 
and indicted his own people. That's exactly what he did. He tried to run. He couldn't run. He did it. And they were spared. And now he's like, I knew it. And now it's, I'm, I'm the one that did it. I'm the one. You would think he would celebrate. Oh, he saved the nation. Which nation did he save? At what cost? And what does it look like for his own people? That's why he wanted to die. Are you with me now? One piece of information, one piece of information changes the entire story around. By the way, by the way, this is an unplanned lesson. Sorry, the lesson is planned, but the point that I'm about to share with you is an unplanned lesson. And yet, I want to share it with you. And that is, talk about the power of changing a narrative. One piece of information, one detail, how quickly we are sometimes to judge others. We see somebody say something, do something, and we can't believe it, right? Maybe there's one piece of information that we're missing. Let's be less quick to judge because maybe the story is completely different than the way we see it. Just a lesson in life and certainly a lesson as we get ourselves ready for Yom Kippur and think about our interpersonal relationships as well. Getting back to our Jonah story. All right, so what's happening with Jonah? He doesn't want to go. Oh, he can't run. But he tries to run. He ends up saving them and now he's sad. But let's get back to that middle part of the story when he's trying to run. Because I asked before the question, look, he knows God. And he knows that God is almighty, all-powerful. God is communicating with him. So how does he not think that God will find him? How does he think he's actually going to flee or run away? From, like, what's his plan? So he doesn't want to do the shlichut. He doesn't want to do the mission. He doesn't, initially, he doesn't want to save Ninveh, the enemy. But what's... What's his plan, though? He's going to run? And how is running going to help? You can't outrun God. Not so fast. Not so fast. So here's another insight. Based on what we now know, here's an insight into understanding this. Take a look at this. Um, no, we don't need this. Hold on. Nope. Nope. Here we go. Text 9 from the Midrash. Take a look. I'm going, to start, I'm going to start reading text. Jonah arose to go to Tarshish to flee from before God. So the Medrash asks, was Jonah thinking he could flee from God? How's he going to run from God? Is it not written, where can I escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of dawn, if I dwell at the end of the west, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. And is it not written, the eyes of God rove throughout all the earth? So how can he run away? However, Jonah said, I shall leave the land of Israel and go to a place where the divine presence neither dwells nor is revealed. Basically, he was not trying to run away from God. He was trying to run away from prophecy. Divine presence neither dwells nor is revealed. He was running away from prophecy because, and this is a detail that's important for the story, prophecy, from the time the Jewish people entered Israel, prophecy is only located in Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. So what he wanted to do is get to international waters or get to another place called Tarshish and there 
at least God can't talk to him anymore. <laughs> at least God won't talk to him. So he didn't do his mission. God can find him. But prophecy, no prophecy. No, no more communication. No more missions. Nothing. He's leaving Israel. It's like he's out of cell phone range. Not that God can't find him, but that the communication, prophecy, is not present. Are you with me on what he was thinking? Yeah? Good. Let's, uh, let me share my screen with you further. Uh, take a look at this next text. Oops. This is how the Rebbe explains it in his talks. Um, oh, well, hold on. Before, before we do this, the Rebbe takes it up a notch and says, understand what the implication was. If someone is a prophet, okay, and the prophet refuses God's prophecy, doesn't listen, or says, I don't want to be a prophet. Like, if, if a prophet refuses God's mission or prophecy, it's actually a, um, a suicide, it's a, it's, it's, it's a deathly choice. Because not, a prophet not conveying a prophecy is liable for death at the hands of God. Does that make sense, what I just said? I, I don't think I said it clearly, I'm going to say it one more time. If God tells a prophet to repeat these words and the prophet chooses not to, that prophet is, that's a capital offense. Not that the court, not that the heavenly, sorry, not that the earthly courts will do anything, but God, it's a capital, it's, it's, a, it's a grave offense to God. Let me share my screen with you and let's read this inside. Um, Jonah knew that if he refused God's instruction to travel to Nineveh, God, who has many agents at his disposal, would nonetheless be able to do as he wishes. Right? The indictment could thus have occurred even without Jonah traveling to Nineveh and instructing them to repeat, to repent. Jonah's behavior is thus puzzling. He received an instruction from God. He ought to have fulfilled it. Why did he consider the consequences? Why did he consider the consequence of the possibility that an indictment against the Jews might emerge from it? Who put him in the business or gave him the right to mix into God's business? Nonetheless, we see that Jonah was steadfast in his position and refused to fulfill God's instructions to the point that Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from before God. He did not want to utter a word that would cause even indirectly an indictment against the Jews. Although he knew the indictment could happen without him, he was nevertheless unwilling to allow for it to come through him. So what's the point? He was willing to sacrifice his own life in order to spare his people. Text 11. One who does not relay his prophetic message, one who disregards the instructions of a prophet, and a prophet who transgresses his own prophecy, their, their deaths are at the hands of heaven. As the verse says, regarding these people, I will hold him accountable, God says. I will hold him accountable. An example of a person who refused to relay his prophecy is, you guessed it, our hero, Jonah, son of Amittai. Understand this. Jonah knew the rules and regs of prophecy. Jonah knew the rules. Jonah knew that by not listening to God, he was essentially signing his own death warrant. And yet, he was not phased by that knowledge. He did not care. He was willing, listen to this, and we just, the texts are really out of order. We should have read the other text first, but I just went in the order that they were printed. Um, knowing that it's a death, death sentence for not conveying God's message. When Jonah chose to head on a boat, to leave the bubble of prophecy, essentially he was saying, God, take me. And why? To spare his people. Understand this? The sacrifice of a leader, 
His people were, at, were in danger. The enemy was Nineveh. The enemy was the Assyrians. He did not want them to be spared, the, the enemy. He wanted them to fall so that the Jewish people, at least for the moment, would be saved from that enemy. God has many agents, but at least the Assyrians won't bother them anymore. He was willing to put his own life on the line. It wasn't his own life on the line. It's not like a danger. He knew with certainty that he was done. He was a dead man walking the moment he turned the other way. He knew it. He did not care. Why? That's how much he loved his people. Are you with me on that point? Yes? His love for his people drove him to put his own life aside. Next, now we see, now we know the answer to the next question. I asked you before, why did Jonah sleep? The, the storm is raging and Jonah goes to sleep. Everyone's panicking and Jonah's fast asleep. You know why? Because he knew it was going to happen. He knew his end was near. He knew he was going down. Yeah, he probably knew he was going to go in a boat and the boat would capsize and he would die. That's it. That was his plan. It's not, it's not I mean, he wasn't like, it's not like he drilled a, a hole underneath his seat or underneath his cabin. You know, it's not like he did it himself, but he was not surprised by this turn of events of a storm breaking out at sea. By the way, the commentaries point out that what happened is all of the other ships were fine. That's why they drew lots to figure out who on whose behalf. Why didn't they just think it was a storm? Storms always break out. I mean, if, if you're sailing, right, storms are a thing. It's not a, it's not a supernatural event. It's a natural occurrence. Yeah, but if every other ship that you can see is fine and you're the only one that's tossing and turning, then you start drawing lots. And that's what happened. And it fell on Jonah. And Jonah's asleep because Jonah's like, I know it's going to happen. I'd rather just sleep until I die. But then the people on the ship are like, yeah, but you're taking us down with you. And so Jonah says, okay, throw me off. And very calmly says, get rid of me. I know I'm dead. But then something crazy happens. God gives Jonah a second chance. Jonah should have died. You turn away from prophecy, that's the, that's the punishment. Guess what? Power of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur reading, God gives Jonah a second chance. That's also incredible. God likes second chances. God gave Jonah a second chance, and he says, all right, spend some time and time out in the whale, or in the fish, in the fish, in the large fish, and when you come out, I'll ask you again if you're ready, and this time Jonah says, all right, listen, might, might as well, I can't, I can't run away. If God, look, if I want to die, right, if I'm out and I'm trying, but God is rescuing me and then I'm swallowed by a fish and I'm like, okay, this is the end. And then I'm still alive and spitting me out. So then how, how many more times am I going to try this? Might as well just give up, so to speak, and just go to Ninveh. And, and that's what happens. And then he's really sad because uh, they were spared. Are you with me in this story? Does it make sense now? Yes. Yes? Okay. Um, so what, what are the lessons that we're learning here? We learn a lot of lessons. One major lesson is regarding Jonah's love for the people. It kind of evokes Moses after the sin of the golden calf when God says to Moses, don't even talk to me. I am totally going to destroy the Jewish people. Moses is like, then I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> if you're telling me, don't talk to me, Moses is like, let's have a conversation. 
because don't you remember how much you love the people? Don't you remember like what the mission is? And by the way, if you don't forgive the people, you can erase my name from your Torah. That's what Moses says to God, gives him an ultimatum. Either forgive the people or literally, that's the phrase. Please erase me from your safer, from your book, that you've written. Take me out of Torah. Now we know today how easy that is in a Word document, right? Control F or R or whatever, can find and replace. Moses, delete. Delete all instances of Moshe. That's what he says to God. Stands up for his people, even at his own peril. I mean, standing up to God like that takes a lot of chutzpah. I just had to clear my throat there. Takes a lot of chutzpah to do that. And Moses says, yeah, my people, but the the people. What about the fact that they broke the law? Like, I am the only God, don't have any other gods? All right, they broke the law. Forgive them anyway. This is what Jonah was also kind of doing. Jonah says, you want to indict the people? Not on my watch. Not happening. Now, eventually he does go. Right? That is, there's a little bit of a difference in the story there. Eventually he does go, only when he realizes that he can't not go. God basically forced him to go, so he went, and then it ended in the way that he had predicted. But, again, getting back to the point, he demonstrated through his desire not to go and his getting on the ship to flee, even at the cost of his own life, even putting his own life, basically ending his own life, as he thought it was going to happen, demonstrates the... Um, demonstrates the degree to which he was completely committed to his people and completely committed to the cause. You know, oftentimes we think that our mission is... Okay, let me phrase it this way. What's greater, Torah or the people? Right? What's greater, Torah or the people? And many people think Torah. Like, we exist to do the Torah. Nope, that's not what Moses said. That's not what Jonah said. The Torah exists for us. It's the other way around. What's the means and what's the ends? It's like uh, you buy a diamond to give to your significant other. Right? Or some of our upcoming awesome jewelry workshop kit. Right? Donna is uh, brewing up right now amazing stuff. Right? So, right, you, you buy a jewelry for your significant other. Right? You buy a diamond. Let's go start, talk about a diamond. Right? You buy a diamond. What's more valuable, the diamond or the one you love? Right? Who is more valuable? I would hope, I'm hoping that the answer is obvious that it's the one you love. So, even though the diamond is precious, it's only precious in, so, in this context insofar as you're giving something precious to the one you love. God gave us the Torah. God loves us and God loves the Torah. But what was given to what? The Torah was given to us. The diamond was given to us. Clearly, we're the ends and not the means to the end. This happens very often in religious circles where you have people that, are, um, that feel that they're observant you know, religious, that will look negatively or judge, judge, um, judgmentally, judgy, at, uh, at somebody who they don't feel is as religious as, as them. So you're, you're, you're looking negatively at the person because of the Torah? 
You got it backwards. <laughs> the Torah is for the people. The people aren't for the Torah. It's like, did God create us to do the Torah? Or did God create the Torah to give us the greatest lessons in life? Uh, maybe I need to elaborate that last point because I don't think I mentioned it. So let, let me, give me a, a, a 30 seconds, 60 seconds to develop that point. Imagine a father or parent, father or mother, really loves their child and hires like the best teacher, you know, private tutor after school, whatever, private tutor to teach the child, you know, ethics and morals and values and the best teachings. What's the point? Because you love your child, you want your child to be the best they can be. So you give them whatever tools they need. That's what Torah is. God gave us the Torah so that we can live the best life that we can live. That's what the Torah is. It's a guide for life, for higher, better, ethical, spiritual, connected, meaningful living. That's what Torah is. God gave us a gift, the gift of Torah, but not at the expense of the person. So that's the next lesson we learn. The next lesson we learn is a lesson about priorities. Who comes first, right? Do you sacrifice the Jew for the Torah or the Torah for the Jew? Hopefully we don't have to sacrifice anyone or anything. But the point is, when the two are pitted against each other, we got to stick up for our brothers and sisters. we got to stick up for, um, for our people. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah says to God, I know I'm violating your very commandment. You, you, you commanded a prophet in Torah that a prophet, that a prophet must listen to you. And I'm violating that commandment. And it's a deathly violation. But I don't care because the people are more important than your law. Because the law serves the people. The people don't serve the law. It's a it's, 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 it, it, it's that, that's the perspective. And this tells us a, a very valuable lesson in life. But hold on, before I talk about the life lesson, does what I just say make sense? About are we for the law or the law is for us? Okay, the law is for us. Torah is for us. This teaches us a very important lesson now that we can expand in general in our lives. So often in life, we, find, we can catch ourselves um, putting a lot of significance in things that are not that significant at all. We spend a lot of time doing things that are not the ends, but are rather the means. We go to work, and we sit in traffic, and we... All of this stuff. For what? For what? Money. What's the money for? Right? It's like... It's like the wealthy fellow who goes vacationing on a remote island and he sees a guy there, t-shirt, shorts, dude is fishing all day, just fishing. He says, huh, so what do you do? I fish all day, all day. You catch fish? I catch a lot of fish. He says, look, I have an idea for you. You should take your fish and you should sell them and then you should make a lot of money and you should buy a boat and then hire people and warehouses and become like a fish distributor. And the fellow says to him, and then what? And then you'll have money. Okay, and then what? And then you'll be able to, you know, to have security and whatever, and then eventually you'll be able to retire. And then what? And then you can retire to an island and go fishing. He's like, all right, I'm already doing that. <laughs> I'm already doing that. I'm already retired and fishing. Right, isn't that the tachlis? Isn't that the goal? By the way, in our conversation tonight, the goal in life, the ends, is not going fishing. I don't, I, 
Not exclusively. I'm getting, I don't want to get in trouble with all the, all the, all the people that fish. Fred, I love you. And nothing wrong with fishing. I'm just saying that we're going to go a little bit deeper than that also. But here's the point. Sometimes we confuse the means for the ends. What are we doing? What's all of this really about? I mean, what's the point? What's the end? And if, by the way, in the pursuit of the end, we sacrifice the ends, then we got to think about that. I'll say that one more time. If in our pursuit of this ultimate goal, we end up sacrificing that goal because of this. It's like the person who says, like, I'm working for my kids to get my kids, you know, a, a good upbringing. But when their kid asks them a question, I can't answer you, I'm working, <laughs> right? It's like, wait a second, aren't you working for your kid? So you, you don't have time for your kid? How does that make sense? Again, I, I, I want to stay safe with the examples because we're all guilty of all these, all of the above. But I'm just saying we have to, Jonah, the story of Jonah teaches us what are the priorities? As Covey said, the main thing is to keep is to make the main thing the main thing. We got to make sure we know what the main thing is. And for Jonah, it was clear. It's not the prophecy. Prophecy, schmophecy. He says, God, thank you very much. I'm not going to do it. I got my people to, to protect. Ah, but what about God's prophecy? I know what the prophecy is for. It's for my people. So why would I throw my people under the bus? And I know that ultimately he does go, but he can't not go. He literally tried to not go. He couldn't not go. God forced him into it. Why? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. But he didn't want to go. Why? Because he knew what the main thing was in our lives. Lesson. In our lives, let's this year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, 10 days of repentance, special time of year. Let's think about what's the main thing and not get distracted by the distractions. Don't make the, the secondary primary. Right? Make the main thing the main thing. Number one. Um, or number two, because the first one was about the, uh, the love that we have to have for each other. Okay, and the final message. The final message is a spiritual one. And I mentioned it earlier today at our little uh, in-person lunch and learn, but, but most of you were not there. So I'll mention it again. The story of Jonah says the Zohar is a story of the soul. God sends the soul into a boat like Jonah, and the boat is the body. And sometimes the soul can become complacent and forget who she is. And the soul can fall asleep, asleep in middle of the ship, in the bowels of the ship. And that means a soul, even though a soul by nature is on fire spiritually, connected with ecstasy with God. After a few years here on earth, the soul can get lulled into, you're getting tired, you're getting sleepy. And the soul can schluff. It's not gone. It's just maybe sleeping. So what does God do? God shakes up the boat. Right? Remember those snow globes? New York, New York, snow globes, tourist shops. Yeah, remember that? It's all calm and still. You're like, oh, what is this? And then you shake it up. It's like, oh, there's action. So God shakes it up a little bit, shakes up our boats. And all the comforts that we thought we had, oh, everything was going calm and everything was great and smooth and my soul was sleeping and lulled to sleep because everything was so nice and smooth and now everything's getting shaken up. Whoa, it's a storm and we're still sleeping. The captain, our inner conscience says to us, wake up, Jonah. Yo, the name Jonah is a euphemism for the soul. Wake up, wake up, don't sleep now. And we wake up. And then we jump into the water, the waters of Torah. We end up in a fish, connected spiritually. Fish is a very spiritual creature. 
And then the fish spits us out on dry land to take the spiritual energies that we picked up to integrate it with our lives. And that's the story of us. We think about this past year, 5780. People like to talk about 2020, but you know, for us it's 5780. Think about 5780, a very challenging year. Two ways to look at it. One negative, one maybe somewhat positive. And that is, I don't mean not everything obviously, but let's, let's learn some, some positive lesson. When we get shaken up, let's use it as a catalyst for growth. Let's use it as an opportunity to allow our soul to get back into it, to, to awaken. Uru, uru, mishinaschem, wake, wake up, wake up, wake up from your slumber, says God. May our souls be awakened. May we not need the boat to shake. But if it does, let's respond and let's wake up. And let's create our own storm, a storm of light, a light storm of goodness and kindness and love and Torah and mitzvot and only good things this year. I want to bless you all with a Gemar Chasimatova. May this year, may your blessings for this year be sealed in the book of life. No changes, no amendments, no adjustments, only goodness and blessings. And may we always remember the story of Jonah, a man who was not willing to sell his people out, a man who knew what the priorities were and who fought for his people against even the word of God. Let's, uh, let's fight for each other. Let's not sell each other, send, um, sell each other out. Let's celebrate our connection, sell each other short or out or throw each other under the bus. So many cliches, right? Let's not do that. All of the above. Let's stick up for each other. And when we stick up for each other, Every parent knows when the kids are getting along, all the blessings are available. Let's get along. God will certainly shower us with whatever blessings we need. And let us say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for our second session of High Holiday Boot. Thank you. Thank you for the blessings. For High Holiday Boot Camp, I appreciate. Sorry? Oh, I thought I heard something. Um, thank you for joining me for Torah Studies and High Holiday Boot Camp, the mashup. Next week, we are back. Next Wednesday night, 7.30, we have a class on Sukkot. The class is entitled Celebrating Commitment. Join me then, same bad time, same bad channel, and before then. Yes, Adina Malka. How do we listen to Kol Nidre? You have to show up. We don't stream on Yom Tif. We don't stream on Yom Tif. So here's, here's the best. Let, let, me, let me share a very important announcement that was just announced today. There was an email sent out a few hours ago explaining that we are doing services, specifically the Kol Nidre service. We are doing services outside. Please, God, weather permitting, we'll be doing it outside with the full parking lot area, with um, uh, socially distant seating, and masks and the and outdoor space under the sky. So Kol Nidre, I believe, is starting. I really need to look at the email to confirm. I believe it's starting right about seven or seven fifteen. One of those two. Email said what seven? Seven. Seven. So Kol Nidre starts at seven. We're going to do an outdoor again. Please God, the weather will hold out. 
weather permitting, 7 p.m. Konidre and an inspirational, inspirational thoughts. And then for those that want to go inside, we'll have some less seating, but also spaced out indoors for the Meyerif part of the service, which will be about 8.15. So an hour and 15 minute service or so outside, please God, weather permitting. And that's Sunday night, Yom Kippur night, Konidre. And then Monday morning, Yom Kippur day, I will be leading, I personally will be leading a learner service, which is basically about, we're going to do about um, 45 to 60 minutes, somewhere in that range, short service, um, outdoors, again, social distanced, and outdoors, and uh, safe, masks, etc. That will be at 10 o'clock, and then again at 11 o'clock, so you have your choice of which one to go to, and then traditional services will be going on throughout the day pretty much inside as well. It's indoors, but it also has those two features of spaced out seats and, and, uh, and masks as well. All right, let's listen. We're doing the best we can, and those are, those are the, the options that we have right now at Chabad in Town. And please, God, those that can make it, we'd love to have you there. If you can't make it, then, um, I mean, everyone should have a blessed holiday, a blessed Yom Tif, with only good things, only good things. Wherever you are, it should be a meaningful day, it should be a meaningful fast, and it should be a meaningful day of connection. All right. Any questions, other questions on the class or comments or anything, please, please feel free to jump in. Um, can I do Tashlich on my own? I missed it. For... You can do Tashlich all the way to Hashanah Rabbah, which is, I said, the last day of the, um, of the what's it called again, of the, of, the, of the ceiling. So you can go until, um, you can go until it's like the last day of Sukkot, before Shemini Yatzer and Simchat Torah. I, I, don't, I don't have the date right now on me. Without you pulling up. I can a... go to the body of water by myself. You still have another week or two. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Just make sure you have the text. There's like a, a few prayers that you recite. It's really cool. It's actually really nice prayers. So, um, yeah, you can. Can you send me a PDF of the prayer? Remind me and I can send you something. Yeah, for sure. With pleasure. Yeah. And just. Point? Yes, hey. Hey, Sarah. I have a question. You, you said at some point. Nevertheless, the bottom line was still that God wanted um, wanted to go to Nineveh um, in spite of the fact that it might disparage the Jewish people. So yep. Did you say you don't know why? Is that when you said you don't know why? Here's what I say. Here's what I say to them. Um, ultimately, the temple was destroyed. That was God's plan. And it seems like no amount of protest from Jonah was going to change that. I mean, that's the short answer. Short answer is the temple was destroyed. The first temple, and then eventually the second temple. And God decreed and determined that we were going to be in exile. Now, the fact that Jonah didn't want to be the one to facilitate that, yeah. The fact that Jonah says he's putting his people in front of, in front of God's word, incredible. But ultimately, you, you can't, if God is putting you in a place, you can't really run away from that. As we said before, one of the Chavetz Chaim said, you can't, you can't really run away from that. Now, the question is, why did God force Jonah's hand and didn't force Moses' hand? There was a, we don't know God's reasons, but Moses, in the times of Moses, God had an option for the Jewish people to not be destroyed after the sin of the golden calf. In the times of the first temple, there was a decree that it was going to be destroyed. And there was no way around that decree, it seems. So it had to happen. 
So I, I don't know why. There's no way that I know why, and there's no way I would justify that because that would be very un-Jonah-like to justify. I don't need to be God's attorney and explain why it's a, why it's okay that it happened. I'm not, that's not that's not where I'm going with this. But that it had to happen. It seems like it had to. Why? Yeah, the short answer is, as you said, we, we don't know why. We Only God knows why, but that seems clear that that was what was fated. So there's only two tribes left of the twelve? Um, essentially. Depends who you ask. That's the, there's, a, there's a lot, there's... Yeah. All of the above. <laughs> I know you're asking, <laughs> are there only two left? It's not a simple answer. Most of the tribes were exiled and lost. There, is, there are some that are saying that there are tribes here or there in various locales that, or people in various locales that seem to have some ancient tra- traditions that line up with tribes, ancient tribes of Israel. But it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's something that's being explored. But it, there's definitely been a... Um, yeah, there's definitely been a, an exile. The exile took a, took a toll. It, it, it came at a cost. Look, we know the tribe of Levi and Judah and Benjamin. These are the tribes that we know. Three tribes. Judah and Benjamin in the south, and then, of course, the tribe of Levi, which didn't have a portion of the land of Israel, so they're not counted upon. They're not included in the count of the tribes. Um, but, but, they, but, they're, but they're around. We know Kohanim and Levim, right? We know people that are Kohanes or Levis. They're from the tribe of Levi. Okay, make sense? Probably an unsatisfying answer, but look, there's, uh, you could do research on it. Yes, Matt. I think you can maybe help out on that. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, I guess the term is good and evil, like what do we consider good and bad? And a lot of it depends on time scale. I wanted to say so. So, so for us, like the temple being destroyed, if I'm in that time, I perceive it as bad. But the hard thing when we think about if God thinks something is good or bad, well, God's on an infinite time scale. So that's when the term is good or bad from, I guess, God's plan perspective doesn't really make sense to analyze the situation. Excellent, excellent point. And I think that even enhances the, the self-sacrifice of Jonah. Because Jonah is saying, look, I know you have a plan. And I don't care. <laughs> it's not my plan. It has to make sense to me on the ground. And if I don't like it, I ain't going to do it. I'm not going until he... I mean, how many times would he put himself through the ring? I mean, like, what's his option? Go take another boat. I, I, I'm just explaining why Jonah eventually does go. Right? By Steve. I mean, um, what's, what's, at some point, what's he going to do? I mean, keep on running, but you're right. We don't know God's plan. And God's plan to God makes sense. As the statement goes, if I were God, I would, I would make the same choice. I would understand it. I could explain it. But look, we're not God. It's been likened to, you know, a tapestry or a rug or whatever it is. I don't know. Right? You, one side has a pattern. The other side has all the knots, assuming that that's what it looks like. Right? So we're looking at the other side. We see only knots and it's messy and we, but nothing makes sense. But all right, God's looking at it from the other perspective and everything, everything lines up. But that doesn't mean... That Jonah should say, oh, okay, it's God's plan, no problem. Let's go to Nineveh, catch the first flight out, save Nineveh, destroy the people. God, you have a plan. No, the message is, nonetheless, we've got to still fight for what our mind and our awareness tells us. At the same time, 
we also ultimately accept God's ways. It's not like we're you know, rebelling against God, but standing up for his own people. That's a good thing. All right. Makes sense. Ray, you want to jump in? I just want to say Gemara Tov. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Gemara Simatova. Have a uh, wonderful Yom Wonderful. Have a meaningful Yom Kippur. Have a party, but blast of a time on Yom Kippur. <laughs> Rabbi Ari said to party. All right. Let's temper the party, uh, the festive. Uh, but it's meant to be, um, you know, it's a serious day, but it's not a sad day. Tisha B'Av is a sad day. The day the temples were destroyed, that's the sad day. But, Tisha, but Yom Kippur is not a sad day. It's never meant to be a sad day. In fact, it's meant to be, on some level, a happy day. But not frivolous happy. But a, a deep, a deep joy. Why? Because it's a day to get reconnected with self and with God, to clean up whatever needs to be cleaned up finally, and to turn over a new leaf. That's, that's amazing. Imagine somebody said, you can have an undo. Think of one thing in your life, one choice, and you can undo that. Wow. Imagine one moment in your life that you could have over again. Man, would I buy a lot of Bitcoin. I mean, no, but seriously, think about it. Like, imagine you could do one thing over again. That would be exciting and exhilarating. Good. Welcome to Yom Kippur. Welcome. Stay, stay a while. Stay 26 hours and enjoy. But Rabbi, it's not... Are you selling yeah. a, a, break, a break the fast boxes? I don't believe so. We're going to have them at, at, uh, to go at the synagogue at Chabad, but I don't think we're, uh, we're making it available for purchase. But I know a guy. No, I'm kidding. I don't. I, 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 don't, I don't have... Uh, not, not this one. Not this one. Not that I know of. If, if, I'll ask and I'll see if maybe something can be made available. And I'll let you know. All right. By the way, we are. I, I am pl- planning some cool stuff with food. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're we're working on some exciting things. We're getting some food around. So stay tuned for that. Oh, one thing tomorrow night. Very important. Yes. Yes. Don't go anywhere. Give me fifteen seconds. Mrs. Nomi Freeman, a world-renowned Kabbalist, author, speaker, spiritual mentor. She's taught the Supernatural course by us. She taught the Spirituality Masterclass by us last year. She gave a talk about near-death experiences. She is incredible. Many of you were at her classes over the last 12 months. She is doing an exclusive, for us, exclusive lecture called the Kabbalah of Teshuva. Teshuva is such a loaded word. It's about Yom Kippur, Teshuva, repentance, return. Such a loaded term. Tomorrow, the, tomorrow night, 8 p.m., the Kabbalah of Teshuva. InTownJewishAcademy.org slash Teshuva, I think is the link. But otherwise, just take a look at either the emails or the website. You'll look it up. You'll find it. But please join us. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be You're amazing. you an email with the link? I'll send out an email tomorrow morning. Yes. Yes. I sent out an email a few days ago, maybe yesterday, uh, I think a few days ago now, and then another one will go tomorrow morning, please God. All right, so stay tuned. Or you can look on the website. All the information is there. All right. Great to see you all. Laila Tov. Be well, take care, stay healthy, and stay positive. All right. Gemach Simatov, everyone. Thank you. By pleasure. Great to see you all. Bye, guys.